Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again. Our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. As always, a heartfelt thank you and appreciation and gratitude for all of you guys who follow the program, um, both in the United States and across the globe. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure to do this, and I always make sure I start every episode acknowledging um, and appreciating uh, the the faith that you guys have in us. Like I said, we you know we're not treating anybody, but um, it's such an honor when people come from different parts of. Um, the United States or other countries for me to evaluate them. And uh, I really do consider that um, a blessing and my uh, sincere thank you and gratitude. So today we're going to focus on a pretty interesting disorder. And it's one that I um, I, I diagnose. Uh, and I, I think I had two cases in the last few weeks. And um it's, it's an interesting disorder, and it's, it's called conversion disorder or functional neurological symptom disorder. So in this, in this disorder, individuals are experiencing and even demonstrating physiological and neurological symptoms of which there is no organic or neurological explanation or etiology. So, um, you know, the, for the diagnostic criteria, you know, this one I made notes for because this is kind of, this is complicated, but it, it's something that you'll see a lot um, in, in clinical practice. Um, so with, with the symptoms, one or more of the symptoms of, of, like, of altered voluntary motor and sensory functioning, okay? So motor is movement, sensation is... Sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, um, and the, the 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 findings provide evidence of like there's incompatibility in there there's incompatibility between the symptoms and other medical conditions. So the it, it doesn't it it doesn't always make sense um, what people report or what they generally demonstrate by physical observation. Um, so you, you kind of see it across several areas with, um, weakness or paralysis, uh, abnormal movements like tremors, dystonic movement, um, gait disorders, uh, you know, gait meaning walking can be imbalanced, whatnot, uh, swallowing symptoms, um, speech symptoms are pretty common, uh, dysphonia, slurred speech, even dysarthria, um, articulation difficulties, uh, attacks or seizures. This is another common one. Um, but it, it, I'll explain more about how you can't just rely on a single observation of a symptom to make this diagnosis. Um, another one is with like anesthesia or, or, or sensory loss, uh, uh, special sensory symptoms, visual olfactory, hearing disturbances, and sometimes, um, you know, they're, they're mixed symptoms uh, where you may have, generally you have one or more uh, of these different physical conditions. And these could either be um, acute, like with a re really in real insidious onset, or, um, you know, persistent, lasting, you know, longer than, than, than six months. And, and what's interesting is... Um, there, there you generally are more symptoms um, of various types, like motor s symptoms that, you know, it's like weakness or paralysis, abnormal movements, tremor, 
dystonia, gait abnormalities, abnormal limb posturing, uh, sensory symptoms, alter to reduce skin uh, or absent skin sensation, vision or hearing problems, um, limb shaking, uh, and you know what are called like psychogenic or non-epileptic seizures and. Um, I've seen this a lot when I work on an inpatient unit, and we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, if there is no medical explanation, like, why would these symptoms be occurring? Um, there could be episodes of unresponsiveness that look like uh, syncope, which is fainting, or coma, um, absent speech volume, dysphonia, or aphonia, uh, like I said, dysarthria, which is altered articulation, um, uh, globus, which is kind of a lump in the throat, um, and diplopia, which is which is double vision. Um, so you know the diagnosis requires that the symptoms are not not explained by neurological disease. That is the, that is one of the interesting things because the individual is actually either describing symptoms that would fit into a medical diagnosis or a neurological diagnosis, but upon clinical examination, there is no functional cause or explanation for it. Um, so, for example, like, uh, you know, uh, like if we take like, like epi uh, epilepsy, like what are called like psychogenic or non-epileptic attacks, um, the occurrence of like closed eyes with resistance to opening, uh, or an or a normal EEG, although that does not rule out all forms of epilepsy, such as like absent seizures, uh, sometimes staring off into space, and anytime I kind of see that, I, I automatically have the patient refer to neurology and you can kind of see you can, you can see that the person's there but they can go into this altered state of um conscious uh consciousness and many times absent seizures um they don't have you know with the you know if you you know the typical shaking and um you know urinating on oneself whatnot uh but it definitely is uh, a form of epileptiform activity so there's a number of features um, that you need to kind of support this diagnosis. Uh, there may be a history of multiple somatic symptoms. And sometimes these individuals also do a lot of doctor shopping, um, looking for someone to validate because in their mind, they are actually experiencing these symptoms. And that's, and that's what is the interesting part is um, there, there's no physiological cause. And, and sometimes the onset can be associated um, with stress or trauma, uh, either psychological or physical in nature. And is, is, does it mean that everybody, you know, all conversion disorder diagnoses have a, the individual has a history of trauma or some psychological stressor? No, not at all. Um, but it is, it is in my experience, um, X always causes Y. And things do not occur in a vacuum. And there's generally some form or, you know, piecing together why these symptoms may be present. Um, and the symptoms generally have a close, if there is trauma, there's a close temporal relationship. Um, and temporal meanings, uh, means time. Um, so uh, there's often like uh, symptoms with conversion disorder of dissociation, depersonalization, derealization, dissociative amnesia, uh, 
especially at the beginning of, of these, what we would call like attacks. Um, and there's, there's something called um, labelle indifference. I remember this from, from school. Uh, I studied French in high school. I think I could probably maybe navigate my way through France and the French that I think I still remember. Um, but a labelle indifference is really like a lack of concern about um, the nature of the implications of the symptoms. It's really an indifference. And another one that, that is also very common is what is called a secondary gain. And I see this a lot in uh, clinical practice as one of the more prevalent reasons why um, why somebody is disp- displaying these symptoms. Uh, a secondary gain is basically there's a motivation why I'm acting this way. And oftentimes... Um, you know the, the this the this disorder kind of peaks in in like the run the run the forties and is actually much more common in females than males, and a lot of people have tried their best to do their homework to look up symptoms of how to mimic a neurological disorder. Um, you know, one 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 test that we use uh, that I use it's called the test of memory and malingering, is a good test. And malingering means is basically a clinical term for faking. Now, the NMPI is a great assessment. Let me back up a second. Um, the, the test of memory and malingering is actually normed. So when you're doing a, a, a test, uh, you're developing a test, depending on what type of test it is. Uh, so a lot of the neuro, most of the neuropsych tests that I do are, 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 that I use are based on a population that has been screened. They have no underlying medical conditions, no underlying psychiatric conditions. You consider it kind of like a, a pure, normal, whatever those are, population um, versus something like the test of memory and malingering, where the population that the test was normed on was an Alzheimer's population. So you're dealing with a population with a legitimate medical neurological disorder. Now, you're basically showing the the individual 50 pictures, and then you're going to show them another stimulus book and ask them to pick between which pictures did they see. And the the pictures are pretty... um, are pretty stark contrast from what you know from the original fifty, and uh, my memory is correct. Um, I think a, a stage three Alzheimer's patient um, is able to recall forty eight out of the fifty pictures, and now you're talking pretty severe organic memory impairment, and they're able to recall forty out of fifty. So if somebody comes in and they're recalling. 20 or 30, it's a good test to be able to, to, to figure out that someone is definitely lying and feigning or faking those these symptoms. And you sometimes see this in uh, legal cases, um, disability cases. Um, so it's, it's a good test. And, and the MMPI is also another uh, excellent test that that I, I use because it has what are called built-in validity scales. The test could tell if someone is lying, if someone is faking, or if somebody's being overly defensive. 
And there's actually a, a scale on there for uh, conversion hysteria. Uh, and, and depending if you do get into the supplementary scales, the content component scales, and the sci-fi scales, um, you can you, you can basically taking the test apart piece by piece and, and getting into the more idiosyncrasies, which is what we, we call like a critical item analysis. So I'm able to see you know, not just what the elevations are, but I'm able to kind of go into the test to figure out what the actual responses were to each of the individual questions. And it's really important, at least from my perspective, diagnostically, um, that it helps me to really to kind of to solidify diagnosis. But it's also really important uh, if this is a potential, you know, referral question and um, a lot of time the referral question is, 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 is this, you know, they've been to multiple doctors. That's kind of a red flag right there. Why have you been to multiple doctors with the same complaints? Um, and no one's been able to find anything wrong. And so it, there is a lot of doc shopping with uh, conversion disorder. But the interesting thing is these individuals also are, um, they're also experiencing these symptoms, but again, not in a way that would fit the textbook definition for a, a formal medical neurological diagnosis there there there's variations in, in how with, with the assessments that the symptoms don't line up with with with, with a specific disease um so it it's uh you know like i said the dissociative symptoms are common um uh what anxiety disorders especially panic panic disorder depressive disorder uh commonly are co-occurring with um, conversion disorder, and not surprisingly, personality disorders are incredibly common in individuals with conversion disorder. Um, it is uh, generally, you know, more in the lines of, you know, borderline, histrionic, uh, possibly de dependent. And again, in my experience, but a lot of times what I'm dealing with is I'm seeing the secondary gain. I'm seeing that there is, this is about getting disability or this is about, um, you know, avoiding responsibilities of life, getting out of probation, uh, getting out of uh, some responsibility and then acting in a way. But, you know, I think the, a lot of these individuals do spend a lot of time doing their homework to do the best they can to kind of feign um you know, these sensations of which nobody can explain. And, and sometimes people, I think, can, I think it can sometimes border on, um, and the secondary gain also might be sympathy from family and loved ones. Um, I don't, uh, one of the, one of the, one of the new gender identities, I don't know, if, I get a trans embolism, uh, where you intentionally, uh, inflict pain on yourself, like having a limb severed and uh, living in a wheelchair. Uh, so, you know, there may be external factors that have a financial benefit, but, you know, this these disorders can also, and there without a doubt is Julie with the water. Uh, you, you know, if you're seeing somebody demonstrate, you know, what looks like epileptic activity or, or motor disturbances or their gait is shuffling, um, that could evoke a lot of sympathy and actually reinforce uh, the individual to think to almost take on what I would consider a delusional form that 
hey, this is almost a role I'm playing, and it becomes a, almost assimilated into their their, their personality and, and who they are as navigating their life as somebody with a disease for which there is no medical cause, but yet they act in a way because the, you know, we only repeat behaviors because of, of, of what the world, in terms of how the world responds to us. And if we get positive reinforcement, um, you know, something called psychological valence, which means value, we're more likely to repeat those behaviors. So, again, one of the other consequences or one of the other, you know, if you look to talk about secondary gain, it's like, oh, you, you know, my – this is like um, – I always think of the, uh, the conversion story from the Brady Bunch when, um, what? The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Okay, it was like the boy who cried wolf, but I remember like Mike Brady, the Carol bumped into somebody's car, and then the guy comes in the court with a neck brace on, and Mike thinks he's faking, and he throws the suitcase on the ground, and the guy turns his neck right away, and they realize they loses the case. Um, so, I mean, acting in a way that, uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't think these individuals, I'm sure, again, there's always the anomaly, which I, the outliers, which I, I'm always interested in. I'm sure there are people that I, not that I've come across that, that, that I think make fun of people with, with disabilities, but I think they can, this is a way to kind of capitalize on it. But it's interesting that they really believe that they have, the, I think there's the group that has, the, they believe they have something wrong with them and that they are unique and they could be the special case study uh, that only, you know, uh, they get every test under the sun run uh, and they think that doctor is wrong. They go on to the next one and they go on to the next one. And they, I think there's lots of, sometimes they wind up finding somebody or they wind up getting on a medication that that could be another possibility for acting in a certain way. Because why, why would you, you why would you, you you're not going to fake a seizure in the, in, in your home with nobody around. What would the point of that be? You're not going to fake, Julie's raising her hand. All right, come on. Can you explain the difference between conversion disorder and hypochondriasis? Hypochondriasis is, is kind of what I talked about in the episode of like illness anxiety disorder. Hypochondriasis is, is chicken little. The world is, the, uh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Hypochondriasis is, is much more related to a, a persistent level of anxiety about something catastrophic happening, which is different in conversion disorder because the individual with conversion disorder is actually demonstrating and displaying neurological symptoms. Does that make sense? They're actually experiencing the symptoms. They're, ex they're uh, experiencing the symptoms, the symptoms and they're displaying the symptoms and are looking for validation for it mm -hmm. versus hypochondriasis where the individual is so paralyzed by fear that um, they may get something wrong with them. Okay. So, again, that's why anxiety disorders are very common among this. But I think, like I said, no one's going to have – they're not going to have a seizure in their in their house when, when no one's home. Unless they're not they have a seizure. Unless they have a seizure disorder, yes, but they're, or also they're not going to, um, um, you know, start to have tremors sitting watching, you know, Family Feud when no one's around. But if they start having tremors, and sometimes when you do it with tremors, is they you'll see a tremor unilaterally in one in one hand, and then it doesn't kind of fit the pattern. And then sometimes with 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 um, you know the individuals asked to copy the the. the you know the doctor in uh, in a rhythmic movement with their unaffected hand, and this causes the actual tremor to change its 
and so you know they're having a a, a tremor in their left hand and then say okay with your right hand i want you to make this circular motion and what happens is the left hand then starts to move is the same as the right hand which, which doesn't fit with resting or attention tremors so resting tremors is where you, you just you're sitting uh you'll see this a lot of times in you know the the neurodegenerative disorders, which I will get to at some point. Um, but you're just sitting there and you see it rocking or just shaking a lot of times in the hands or legs or feet. Um, intention tremors, you can be at rest, but as I, as I reach to grab a pen, I'm intending to grab the pen, you'll see the tremor in that. And a lot of times, you know, if you notice an individual suddenly start to do what's called pill rolling between the thumb and the index finger, that's an indication, a good sign uh, of early onset Parkinson's. So the conversion disorders are, are, are really interesting because um, I, in my experience, I found that people, they, they, they've done their homework. Um, they've also, and when you do get into that background information and that, uh, at least when I'm going through all that information, and a lot of things just, just they just don't make sense. They, they, they just don't make sense, especially when you, you get to when you're when the person is really complaining of these physical symptoms. And I'm getting the referral basically because the primary carers in neurology basically say, we're not finding anything wrong. And then, you know, I'll ask somebody, you know, can you bring a list of all your medications that you're currently on and that you've been prescribed? And that's interesting in and of itself because um, – you know, say you go to like a, a minute clinic or you just maybe go to your primary care and you say you're having some symptoms. Um, and I'm sure Julie could probably attest to this because, you know, we use meds like uh, Cogentin for, for tardive dyskinesia. I mean, there's, you know, people faking that. I don't know. I don't know if anybody would want to take Cogentin, but um, I think, you know, it, it's, um, I lost my train of thought. Hmm. Billing. The pill rolling, what was, I, what was I saying? <laughs> you were talking about how people um, have the one medication. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'll ask somebody, like, um, you know, this is the referral question. Like, can you go, you know, go to Walgreens, go to CVS, you know, at least in the United States, uh, and get a list of all your meds that you're currently on and all the ones you've been prescribed? And it doesn't mean I know every single med, but I will look them up and it's, you know, I'll consult with Julie or I just, based on my own knowledge, and it's interesting because you can kind of build a picture backwards. Like what has this person been, what has this person been presenting uh, for the last several years? You know, you're looking at their uh, muscle relaxers, are they anticonvulsants, are there uh, opiates? And that can kind of build a picture of, you know, what were maybe, you know, Maybe you get a better idea of like what what was the actual symptom or syndrome that they were complaining about. Um, sometimes individuals with fibromyalgia, uh, I see this a lot with individuals with that because nobody really knows what that is. Um, but uh, it it it's hard to say these individuals are liars. But with conversion disorder, there definitely is a benefit. And whether that's wanting validation, I think, to be this unique patient with this unique disorder that nobody could figure out, um, uh, such as, you know, um, I don't know if I brought it up before, but Paul Paget is the only person in the world with a with the diagnosis of acquired savant syndrome. And I have a picture in my office of like the most perfect seashell. And I can explain that in a different episode or po take a picture of that and post it on our Instagram page. Um, but 
it, again, also, you know, being that unique patient um, and, you know, thing if nurses are doting on you and doctors are trying to figure you out, I mean, I think, I think there's that, that's where I think they're why the personality piece is um, a, why personalities are really common with this, because in, in, in the in the like, like I said, in borderline dependent histrionic, the self-esteem is 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 really missing and really dependent upon what other people give them that do, do people do go to this extent of de- demonstrating non-medically based neurological symptoms to elicit attention. That to me makes sense. Um, is it the most appropriate? No, but uh, there, there, there's some benefit to it. And, you know, if you're getting, a te- you know, extra attention from home and, oh, poor baby, and I mean, that, that would likely reinforce that. But again, the symptom presentation is not consistent with how the actual disease that they are pretending or acting or describing does not fit with what the medical test lab results and all the different neurological assessments show. That is the key differentiating factor. Anything you want to add? I want to say something about the horses. Oh, we're not, on, we're, not, we're, not, we're not on the horses yet. I know, but but the but it's it's like a delusional disorder. It's a it's a belief. I, I think it's an it, actual belief. I think it can become delusional, especially I think as it progresses and the person um, is getting the desired responses that they need, I do think it can become delusional. And delusional does not mean psychotic. Uh, I will do an episode on delusional disorder, but again, delusional does not mean psychosis. Um, It's a separate diagnosis in and of itself. But I think, yes, as Julie was asking, like I do think that delusional disorder can definitely develop and be a part of this especially as this progresses and the person is getting the responses that they want and it almost becomes fused with who they are as a person so it's an interesting disorder but we do have tests uh and that we're able to weed this out and the referral question like i said that i usually get for this is um from neurology and primary care can you rule out uh conversion disorder because all of our tests come back and again these individuals often will come into the office with uh, uh, files and tons of paperwork and just you know they're looking for something Um, and again the testing is able to really help piece out and decipher what it is Um, so Conversion disorder, uh, functional neurological disorder it's an interesting one um but there's many different moving parts to it, but it is much easier to detect than you would think. So I'm going to let Julie pop on. Um, so here she goes. Um, I have worked with people. The treatment's difficult. I think it's mostly therapy. I don't, or anti-anxiety medications, or, you know, sometimes the the people who present this way are, they're usually discouraged and exhausted. Um, but their belief is so strong um, that they're experiencing whatever it is that they are experiencing that it's it, it just transforms into, you know, physical symptoms. And it's just, it's exhausting. Um, and like Cor said, they usually come in with lots, like lots of files. 
Um, and like anything else, like when we, just to bring it back a little bit, um, to draw some sort of a parallel with um, uh, borderline personality disorder, uh, you know, oftentimes how some disorders or uh, mental health issues can mimic others. Um, you always want to rule out medical first, which is why it's so dizzying for uh, clients with conversion disorder, because they can never really get that closure or that answer. But for people with borderline personality, they often present as exhausted, discouraged, frustrated, because they've been there, done it with all the medications, because borderline can look like PTSD, it can look like bipolar disorder. It can look like anxiety, various uh, anxiety disorders. And <clears throat> when having, having said that, that's why it's so important to have diagnostic clarity because it ends, it, it, it can, it gives people hope and it gives people an answer. Um, and, you know, medications being, you know, given to people with borderline personality disorder in terms of when it's not effective. Um, it's when I've been on that med, that med, that med, that med, that's, that's almost indicative of, okay, there's something going on. There's something more going on here. Um, bringing everything back to getting neuropsych evals. Um, so for diagnostic clarity, um, lastly, um, we talked last week, I think about, um, we touched upon, you know, uh, sending love in the presence of hate and, and what's going on in the world. Um, I am, I have been kind of immersed in, um, and have taken my eye off the ball a little bit with these, um, the wild horses because of what, of the war going on in uh, Gaza. So I want to um, give you something tangible. Here's the thing. I was thinking about this. I took a walk the other day and I thought to myself, you know what? Cor and I do this because we love humanity and we, we, we doing this to give back. We, our, our podcast is not monetized. We make nothing um, off of this and that that's our intention. And that's the way it's going to continue. Having said all that, um, I think about sometimes, you know, how grateful we are when people do call us, but we don't charge people when they call us, you know, we, we, people will call us and we'll be on the phone with them for a good amount of time. So it is very time consuming, but we're super grateful for it. I asked, we asked nothing of you, but I am asking something of you today. I'm asking you to please, if you have a pen, if you can jot this down, I have legitimate contacts to fax a note, if you can, to save the McCullough herd um, which is one of the oldest herds in the United States. Um, they're babies. I mean, they're tiny colts. And, you know, th these are family tribes, um, bands of horses that have been around since the, before civilians in the United States. So it's very important for our culture that we appreciate these horses and keep them safe from the BLM, which is not Black Lives Matter. It is the Bureau of Land Management, which is why what agency that I'm referring to. They do roundups. They're planning a roundup on November, starting November 15th of these beautiful, beautiful horse families. And it's going to be absolutely treacherous. So two contacts. I'm planning on doing this tomorrow. 
There's the first one coming from Sandy Sisti. Sandy Sisti is on Instagram. She is absolutely, it's uh, S-A-N-D-Y-S-I-S-T-I. And she is such an advocate for these beautiful creatures. And she's been studying them, visiting them, photographing them for years and years and years. And has a very deep advocacy and appreciation for these precious animals that are utterly defenseless. Um, so the first is contact Tracy Stone, S-T-O-N-E dash Manning, hyphen Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G, who is the director of the Bureau of Land Management, BLM, and tell her that this roundup of the McCullough Peaks herd is unnecessary and should be stopped. You can call her on the phone at 202-208-3801 or her fax, which I'm going to write a note and fax it myself, 970-256-4997. The other contact, the second contact, besides social media, um, if you have any influence in social media, if you could just share this with everyone you know, contact the Cody, C-O-D-Y, Chamber of Commerce, if you visited the Macaulay Peaks horses and tell them how important these horses are to you and how much money you spent while in Cody, because we all know that it's about the money. Um, so there's an email, uh, info, I-N-F-O at Cody, C-O-D-Y, chamber, C-H-A-M-B-E-R dot org. And the phone, I believe it's a phone. I don't think it's a fax, but it's 307-587-2777. Again, um, this is to share um, saving these horses um, from permanent removal and extinction from the land that uh, in the United States. I ask you, please, if you could do this, um, if, you, if you could take some time and just do something like this for us, I would greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. God bless you. Keep praying. Send love in the presence of evil and hate. And send love to those and bring the hostages home, finally, and hopefully pray. Just pray for peace. Just pray for peace. Um, we love you. God bless you. And um, I'm going to hand it over to Cor now. And thank you. Thank you, Julie. Um, so I know that's something that's very important. Um to Julie, uh, and yes, we do this uh, for the sake of just being blessed with our education and knowledge and as perpetual students, um, and hope we do the best we can to help who's ever listening. So thank you to everyone. Um, I know uh, it's – I try to get back to everybody, uh, so if I haven't got back to you or I emailed you or texted you, just keep reaching out. I will get to you. So, um, it's, you know, staying on top of everything, and it's 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 a feel that is only uh, it's only it's only moving in a direction where we don't. There's definitely not enough providers. Uh, so, mental health is 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 a definitely a growing field, and uh, we just do the best we can. So, uh, until next week. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me through Psychology Today 
You can contact, uh, follow us on Instagram, psychology underscore unplugged underscore. And you can even contact me directly at 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Take take care of each other. Um, and uh, be well. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks.